Welcome to the 301 Podcast, the interview podcast for the hottest up-and-coming entrepreneurs, artists, and creators. Real, authentic, and inspiring. And here is your host, Marcus Engel. Let's get it started in 301. Welcome back to the 301 Podcast. When I first heard the story of today's guest, I couldn't believe it, and I had to hear it myself firsthand. So I invited Gabriel Gilglione, who is the head of community for Midnight Runners and a ultra marathon runner, to the 301 podcast to talk about it. And we talked about how he builds communities. We talked about his insane, insane trip to Tajikistan, where he ran seven marathons in seven days. So it's absolutely unbelievable to also listen to that story. And of course, we talked about his first ultra marathon experience. I hope you enjoy listening to this podcast and let's get it started in 301. This will be probably the podcast of extremes because the next guest uh, can be either seen running seven marathons or being the fastest at the pancake mile. So today we can welcome <laughs> Gabriel Giglione straight from Toronto. Gabriel, welcome to the 301 podcast. Hi, Marcus. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I mean, we just talked about it, um, but I'm so, so excited to talk with you today because we had uh, yesterday I watched a documentary that we will probably talk a lot about today as well um, but before we get into all that uh, maybe a quick introduction from your side who you are and uh, what you do hello everyone my name is gabriel i am the global community lead for midnight runners and that is a global running community based in 11 different countries around the world and my job is to build these communities in different cities and build these flourishing running communities um, so in short i build communities and i use fitness as a tool to do that super cool maybe you have to like uh, clarify one question before we dive into it how do we become the fastest in the pancake mile <laughs> um so that is something that i um you know it, it, it's something fun to have on the, the resume so to speak in order to um, whip it out as an interesting fact or um tell your friend and they just kind of shake their head um, so this is, a, an event that happens every year in a small town in Ontario and they do a pancake mile. Um, and it's, it's a very simple event where you eat a pancake, run 400 meters, eat a pancake, 400 meters, pancake, 400 meters, pancake, 400 meters. So that's four pancakes and a mile. Um, so it was, is based off of the competition, the, the beer mile and, It was a maple syrup festival and they thought it would be fun to organize something like that. And they started having people getting very competitive about this pancake mile. And my friend told me about it. I said, hey, you know what? You would be good at this because I had um, previously dabbled in a couple other uh, funny running challenges, such as the McDonald's challenge, the <laughs> beer mile and um, race the tube and and eggnog challenges um so these are just funny things that i i do to um make the sport of running fun and kind of have a laugh about it um but turns out i was pretty good at it my friend said you gotta come um so i showed up one day uh quite hung over after a night out together and we ran this pancake mile and now i have bragging rights and i can be able to go to my mom and say hey mom guess what i have a world record and she says oh what is it now i kind of like palm to face kind of thing um but yeah so that's 
that's the pancake mile world record for you. <laughs> that's amazing. I, I thought that was such a fun effect when you like go through all the like things that you've done and like the, let's say, ac accomplishments also like on a running level. And then all of a sudden you have like, oh, like the fastest at the pancake mile. I, I, I love that. So uh, we needed to <laughs> clarify that before we get uh, get into it. You also mentioned in your introduction that you um, are the community lead for Midnight Runners. Uh, so how is it currently going for the Midnight Runners? So Midnight Runners is a global running community in 11 different cities around the world. And it is different from the rest of the running communities because it is a music-based fitness event. And when I say that is um, when you show up to an event, it looks very different from what you would typically imagine a running event to be. Um, rather than splitting up its pace groups um, and a bunch of people in split shorts all ready to run with their watches, it's you see a large mass of people running down the streets with a huge 120 decibel backpack speaker, daisy chained to a bunch of other speakers. Um, so, you know, to put it simply, it looks like a large moving rave. Um, and so I know Alex because I led this community with him in Berlin for two years. And we grew it from uh, 25, 30 people to 200 people running through the streets of Berlin during the summer. Um, and usually we'll start and finish at a bar and the, the main event is the beer afterwards. So, um, the way we organize it and organize this, uh, running community is very much community first, um, using running as a tool to meet people and network. Um, and I find these communities a success if it connects people outside of just the normal weekly events. Mm. Yeah. So that, that's what Minute Runners is. And have you experienced now, like especially in the past maybe 12 months, uh, a big growth of uh, people wanting to run outside? Because I, I get a lot of texts of friends uh, like, hey, I started running. I would have never thought like a year ago. Is that something that you recognize? Yes, uh, 100%. And I think there's a lot of people that have moved to running because a lot of gyms are closed down um, due to the coronavirus. And a lot of people are feeling... Um, feeling that running is a great way of getting outside and, you know, changing up their, their day to day life and pushing themselves. Um, but as you can imagine, gathering large groups of people from around the world and doing close contact exercises um, and, and traveling to new cities and opening up these communities, uh, as you can imagine, that is not happening in the same way anymore. Um, mm -hmm. So over the last 12 months, we have done a few different things. First off, when um, I guess coronavirus was that in full swing um, 12 months ago now, we went a lot online and did a lot of virtual events. And as things started to open up into the summer and um, it really fluctuated between um, what the different restrictions were in different cities around the world, um, but we would have smaller events in different cities spread out at a distance um, with a capped number of people. So no longer large groups of 150, 200 people running, but smaller events um, with a, a capped number of people. And so mm -hmm. it's, it's definitely changed the way that we are doing things, but I think it's actually grown our community more and, and grown, brought our community tighter. Um, because this is that one sliver of sanity that people have 
um, and being able to connect with people, um, whether it's virtually or in smaller group events. It's that kind of one sliver of sanity in in the, the lockdown life. Hmm. Yeah. So Midnight and- Runners has changed uh, over the last year, but you know, it's, it's slowly opening up. Yeah. And, um, why do, why do you think that like running clubs became, uh, so, so popular? I mean, putting, uh, the, the COVID crisis, um, aside, because of course, like maybe you get a lot, a couple of more people that uh, decide to run outside. But, um, I also had the feeling that, uh, for example, like running influence and those kind of uh, thing was becoming more like a, a term in the, in the, in the recent, recent years. Why do you think that is like the, the case that people shifted more towards like, Hey, there's something to, to gain there in this world. Mm-hmm. That's a great question. Um, there is, I think several reasons for that. Um, I think one of the main reasons is the fact that, uh, running is a super, super democratic sport and it's super easy and and it's democratic in the sense that it doesn't matter whether you're a lawyer or an artist or whether you're paid a lot or you're not paid anything if you just put on a pair of running shoes you are there and you are you and everyone's put on the same level and we're there's this draw to running communities because by creating these open spaces that a lot of these uh running communities have have created um, it has made it even more democratic. So it, it doesn't matter how fast you are. It doesn't matter, you know, what you're wearing. As long as you show up and you show up with a smile. And I think uh, adding in the fact that running gives you this amazing rush of endorphins and it's uh, it's open to everyone, it's free. That has made communities come together um, and connect and spread very, very quickly. Um And they're happening a lot in large urban centers around the world because there's this diaspora of, you know, young people like yourself and I moving to these large cities for work and they're surrounded by all these people every day, but they are still somehow disconnected and it's really hard to connect and find a community and find your people in Mm. a city. It's really difficult. And these communities are becoming open spaces for people to connect, meet people, and find themselves in a community. Um, so that's why I think that they've these running communities have started sprouting in different places around the world and becoming these these open democratic spaces where everyone can work on improving themselves together um, and connecting um, as young people or of people of all ages in these large urban centers. Mm. And you said that you started in Berlin with Midnight Runners with 25 people, like finished the project with around 200. How did you get first in touch with the Midnight Runners? Was it in Berlin or did that happen already earlier? And uh, how did you then develop to become the global head of community? Yeah. Um, so I moved to Berlin in 2017 uh, with no money, no job, and no knowledge of the German language, with, but just uh, a goal of learning German and you know moving to a new city and pushing myself and trying to push new boundaries. And uh, I really struggled. I, I, I struggled with the language. I was working just as, as a bartender. Um, you know, I had my, my undergraduate degree and I was... Uh, still working as a bartender and, you know, struggling to put 
a couple sentences together in German. Um, and I said, you know what? Like, I got to meet some people outside of just uh, the bar that I'm working at. Mm. Um, it was after a couple months when I said, you know, I, I need to go and, you know, find my people. And I realized that I was really missing the community part of running. And I was in Germany training by myself. I was still getting workouts from my coach back in Canada. And I, I was I used to run at a higher level. And I s- started trying to find a community here. I, was like, I realized it wasn't the running that I loved. It was the community. It was the people that I met. It was the camaraderie of pushing yourself and you know making each other uh, better. Mm. And so I went seeking for that in Berlin. And I, I joined a bunch of different running clubs and you know track teams and I, I I enjoyed meeting these people but there was something very very different when all of a sudden I showed up to a midnight runners event in Berlin and it was a small group of people but people were going nuts they had these huge speakers blasting music you know cheering it was this this energy and we'd finish at a bar and they were ready to you know cause some mayhem and that's really what I want. I wanted a community that's that's up to do exciting things. And uh, as much as I do love um, uh, running, and I, I, I very much love the, the competitive nature of running beforehand, um, I'm not really one to show up in, in my split shorts, run around the track, and then go home, right? Mm. Um, I want to stay around, have a couple beers. Like I'm running with other people because I want to connect and make friends. Um, so that's what I found really, really powerful. Um, at Midnight Runners, and I got involved there as as a crew captain, as a volunteer, and I volunteered there for several years, um, building this community alongside uh, alongside Alex and um, some of the other crew captains in Berlin. And it was such an amazing um, amazing time there. And then there's an opportunity that opened up to um, start full time with. Midnight Runners. Um, so we got a partnership with Reebok to open in uh, more cities around the world. So um, I'm now one of three paid employees of Midnight Runners that just help support this and spread it to more people around the world, spread this free fitness event um, and spread this positivity around the world. Um, so for me, it's it's an absolute dream, dream job. Mm. Um, and uh, I, I, after I joined uh, Midnight Runners, in Berlin, it gave me the confidence to, you know, leave, leave the the bar that I was working at and pursue something that was in my field, despite you know my uh, poor knowledge of the German language. And but I I slowly developed it, and I, I got a job working at a startup there for an app in Berlin, um, and had an amazing experience and learned a lot, um, and launched me into my my career, and. Then I uh, moved to London, worked for a different app there, um, doing similarly, and I was involved with Midnight Runners in London as well as a crew captain. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when then I transitioned over to start full time as one of three pull, like full time employees um, for Midnight Runners, just supporting the community worldwide and opening up and you know sharing this with more people around the world. Mm-hmm. So that's that's my story with Midnight Runners. Super exciting. And what, what are your, I mean, how, how do you build like a, a community? Like what, what are your, your principles? Like what, what are the, let's say maybe the ground rules and what are maybe like the requirements that uh, communities work together, you know, like it's maybe like a tribe or maybe like a family or something like this. Like how do you um, open up, for example, uh, we open up Midnight Runners Amsterdam. 
what are you going to do? Okay. So uh, this is a really great question. And I could talk about this for um, hours. I gave a talk about this last week. And um, really, I, I use I use fitness as a tool to build these communities. And, and it doesn't really matter what tool you use. And in, in the essence, it's still building a community, whether it's crochet or pie making or, you know, pogo sticking. Um, really, the, the fundamentals of building a community are the same, right? A community is different than a club. It's different than uh, a group because groups and clubs are very dependent on the people that are there. The way I like to define a community is, is community is, is building a culture. And, and you're there building a culture um, and a network of people that does mm. do, does not die and does not depend on one person. You know, I'm not starting, uh, you know, a little uh, dictatorship of, you know, people, right? It doesn't mm. depend on uh, a couple of people, but this is something that, and a, a culture that can be spread and evolve and these communities can evolve. And I think what's really important and what I differentiate between a, a group and a community, it's something that is evolves. Um, so how do I actually start that though? And when I move to a new city, my first thing that I do is I go and I look for some of the most golden and positive people. It doesn't matter if they run, it doesn't matter if they like fitness. Um, as long as they're positive and they really are super positive people that, that bring in and connect people. Mm. And if you bring together these golden people together, you will attract more golden people around you. Um, and so they these communities just grow naturally and they just grow through word of mouth and these positive people attract more people and all of a sudden you have this huge, um, huge community. Super nice. I think that would be super interesting to follow you around for if you, if you open up those hubs because um, also when you look through the Midnight Runners homepage, I think it's... Um, crazy that that you can see like how the um, groups like evolve you know so you like you see like the different cities and uh, then you can see that for example like in berlin when you see like some reels and some some pictures like smaller group and then all of a sudden you have those big events and there's like uh, i don't know fields filled with people and you think like wow that's super cool and like i think one thing that also really stands out that you've done a lot of like um volunteering uh, work what drives you to to be be a volunteer like why why do you like to help other people so much well i've always wanted to volunteer and make a difference um and i think the the urge to volunteer is because I, i wanted to make an impact and connect with people and i think this comes a lot from uh from my father he was always very involved with the community from you know helping uh, fundraise for uh local events or um, helping advocate for uh, putting in certain things into into the park and all this stuff. So he's very, very involved and brought me along for the journey. Um, and it showed me the importance of, you know, of volunteering because every time you volunteer and every time you, um, you know, give your time, you meet new people and every time you meet new people, you learn a new perspective about how they view the world. Every single person views the world differently. And the more perspectives that you become to understand and, and, and come into contact with it, it widens your perspective on the world. Um, and so every time you, you, 
give yourself to um, donating your time, you learn something in exchange about yourself. Because I, I think that is also, yeah, also, uh, I don't know, maybe self-fulfilling uh, prophecy or something is uh, you go to Berlin, you have no idea what you do <laughs> right after your undergrad uh, uh, study, uh, like thinking about building cultures and like uh, getting the science behind it. And then you go to Berlin and basically like you build a culture, like you build a community and now you have basically kind of like your dream job in, in, in Midnight Runner. So I think it's sometimes so interesting to see how mm, things like naturally flow in the right right direction it's uh, it's uh, it's unbelievable have you like when, when was the moment for you that you got really got into into running and or, or was there a moment that you really got into running or were you just always like just a very sporty sporty person well i guess i i played soccer competitively growing up um and and i loved it uh And thinking back now, I think I loved it a lot because of the, the team aspect of it. And when I stopped playing soccer, I, you know, started to run because I thought that was just, you know, something else to fill my time other than, you know, as, as a teenager, I was 17. I was like, okay, well, why not give this a shot? Um, and I, I did it, not took, didn't take it very seriously. Hell, mm. I don't, still don't take it very seriously. Um, but I, I didn't take it very seriously until I got to university. And um, I decided to try out for, for the cross-country team there. And I didn't make it. And it crushed me. It did. Um, but I went back and trained by myself and went back to the next tryouts um, six months later. And I then made the team. Mm. And... I wasn't sure I was going to make it because I, I ran uh, the time trial and I was one second short. And I went home and I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't make it. And I was like, okay, maybe this not, might not be for me. Um, but the coach, she recognized that I, I worked hard by myself to try to do this. And she said, you know what? Like, I see potential. Like, if you can work hard, you're on the team. So next right. year come around, I not, not only made the team, but... Uh, I was one of the fastest on the team and came top 20 in Canada. So um, it that I think that running that experience with running really taught me that really if you put your mind to it, you can do anything. And it sounds so so cliche, but you really don't understand that until you actually do it and experience it yourself. Um, and so that was something that really opened a lot of doors for me mentally um, and made me and gave me the tools to apply it to the rest of my life. If you really understand that you can truly do anything, then it just takes uh, a couple steps, putting one foot in front of the over, um, mm. <laughs> one foot in front of the other. Um, and really it's all about consistency, right? If you do something every day, you will become good at it. Um, and so that's why listening to the podcast with Alex really struck a note with me because um, he's, he's absolutely right. It's, if you do something and work on it every day, um, and set up your space so that you can, you know, effectively tackle that every single day, then you can succeed. Mm. What do you think would be um, good tips? Because I mean, you um, went into running, but then you first maybe didn't love it, but then you learned to, to love running and learned to like, also like the, the challenge to challenge yourself. What what are nice tips for for starters that want to get started in in 
like starting to run or something? So tips is just get out the door, right? Um, and that goes with anything. It's just, it's just start. And starting is the hardest thing. And even if you just put on your shoes, open the door, step outside, and then open the door back up and then go back inside, you succeeded because you got out the door. And that was the hardest part. And what I would suggest for people that are starting running for the first time, do that a couple times. Do that a couple times and still you start itching and be like, oh my gosh, now I need to go running, right? Or in your mind say, I'm just going to go for five minutes, five minutes of my time. And go for five minutes and you succeeded because you did you did it. You started. And that's the biggest step. So that's that's what I would um, suggest for people to start running. Um, yeah, I, I really fell in love with running um, throughout throughout university and started taking it more seriously and started getting more competitive. Um, but I, all in all, I, I didn't really take it too seriously. I, I still always wanted to make it fun. Um, mm. And that's something that I would really encourage people is like, don't take it too seriously. Don't, um, don't start tracking yourself if you're going to, if it's going to, you know, overwhelm you, right? A lot of people start tracking themselves on their watches. It's like, I don't usually run with a tracking device just because I'm out there for my own pleasure. Um, and when I was running, I was always, uh, focusing on and keeping it fun and lighthearted. And afterwards I'd always, um, be able to make sure that I'm, I'm not letting it consume my life. And a lot of professional athletes do really let it consume their life to a point where it becomes so emotionally overwhelming um, that they're weighed down. And I remember I always, I always competed the best when, you know, I was still living my life. I was still, you know, going to parties and seeing my friends. I was still eating pizza at two in the morning, right? <laughs> um, it, it's all those things that uh, helped me just live life a bit more and not have this, this weight of something that was super competitive, like bring me down. Um, and now that I've taken a step like off of competitive running and moved more towards running of, uh, something that, that just out of pure enjoyment, I make an effort constantly to make it fun. And mm. that's where the, the beer mile comes in. That's where this, uh, pancake mile and different running challenges and and really midnight runner to come midnight runners comes in because you're out there celebrating um and really running with this running rave that makes it so much fun um so my biggest tip to people is start and make it fun in whatever way you can that's a, a, a very like it sounds very easy but i think it's very hard as well like uh, even the the starting part I mean, I want to talk uh, for sure about uh, running the roof. How did running the roof, the running the roof documentary, how did it happen? Like, why did you do that? So this was a drunken bet. After uh, a night out with a friend, we decided, you know, let's let's spin around and point at a map and wherever my finger lands, we're going to run across it. So we spun around and we landed on the ocean. So, okay, we can't run across water. Let's let's point again. And we landed on Tajikistan. And I took a step back and I said, oh, for, forgive my ignorance, but I have no idea where and what Tajikistan is. Um, so we did some research and we looked into it and it was, looked like the most stunning place ever with the scenery that, you know, I never thought existed on this planet. And uh, the more and more we looked into it, 
um, we thought that this is something that was actually possible. And it's at this point um, in all ideas that many of them die. Many of these ideas die because, oh, well, you know, we could follow up, but there's nothing pushing us to do it. There's no deadline to meet. There's no um, really end goal for it. Um, why are we doing this? And, you know, we said we really want to do it because we want to, um, you know, challenge ourselves, put us outside there and follow through with this bet. Um, so we started just starting. And that's what we did. We just started and we made it fun. And um, this became a project that we worked on together and jo Jody and I, and we, you know, spend, spent our evenings scrolling through Google Maps and looking at uh, routes through Tajikistan. And that's when we came across the Bartang Valley, otherwise known as the roof of the world. And this is this super high altitude pass um, that connects, like, that goes from the northern part of Afghanistan to the border of Kyrgyzstan and China. And we decided, okay, you know, this is, this is a route. And we kind of broke it up. And, you know, we want to go and explore and travel this. And um, so, okay, if we do, you know, stay at some different homestays and camp here, or, you know, we were trying to figure out in our head, like, how could we do this? Um, we decided if we run, you know, seven marathons for seven days, um, then we could, we could do it. And so initially I, th I thought, well, I'll take my GoPro along. I'll film it. We'll, I'll make something out of it. And then fast forward, all of a sudden we have, uh, you know, the British embassy on board with us, the Tajiki tourist embassy on board with us, um, a two person, um, film crew, Sourcy, um, who are some, some friends of ours from London who wanted to get into, uh, adventure film documentary making. And we have, uh, a list of different sponsors from, you know, from uh, running gear to dehydrated food. Um, and Alex was coming along to specifically take the photos and help with a lot of the organization. And we had this, uh, all of a sudden, this this group of friends, and we were working on this project together and kind of taking a step forward at a time. And it was this, this super fun event to plan. But it took the better part of a, a year to plan. And um, it was a almost surreal point when uh, we realized that we had gone all the way from a drunken bet to all of a sudden we're booking flights into this country that we've never been to before um, and going to start running a marathon a day across this, you know, deserted high altitude plateau. Um, so it was really such a truly bizarre and amazing experience to um to, to be a part of really. And I know the, the film really focuses on the storyline of, uh, Jody, um, JB and myself, but really being there was just a, a total experience with, um, the group of us there. So there's the six of us there, um, uh, with, uh, two, two support vehicles and two, um, amazing local guides. So in total, that was, that was eight of us. And we had this amazing experience as we camped across this, uh, and and met people um, in local villages along the way through mm. this uh, through this valley. And really, I forgot that it was about the initial thing was about running across it, and it was more than turned into a way of exploring a a country and a culture 
and a people and a landscape. Um, and it became this amazing uh, lens for seeing the world. Yeah, I've, I've, I mean, I find it just, uh, <laughs> I, I watch a documentary, so I, uh, I think it's a good place to uh, runningtheroof.com for everyone who listens to w watch the documentary. I think it's really, really worth it. But um, take us a little bit also along the way. Like, when was the moment for you that, um, like, it hit you? Like, we are really doing, like, we are really doing this. Was that arriving in the country? I'm like, okay, I'm really here to do that now. Or was there, like, a, another moment that you were like, okay, I think uh, this is uh, becoming more serious? Hmm. I think the moment I realized we were actually doing it is the, the night before. Um, and we were we were staying in this this hostel in um, in Dushanbe in, in the capital of Tajikistan, and you know we were all there finally after uh, so much planning, and we were there, and and I, I wasn't stressed at all, and I wasn't you know worried about anything, um, but it was that time I really I knew we were underway because all I was no longer stressed or worried about the planning. Um, and we were just going along for the adventure. And that's when it became an adventure because, you know, we couldn't really, after all the planning we've done, we still couldn't tell, you know, what uh, obstacles the adventure was going to throw at us. Hmm. Uh, and that's when I, I, I really understood, like, okay, it's underway. And we started running the next day uh, through this this amazing valley with, mountains soaring up on either side of us and uh the only thing that was moving us was our own two feet super impressive what, um how do you prepare yourself for such an adventure like uh mentally and, and maybe physically did you beer and like pizza <laughs> beer and pizza that was your preparation what was the preparation for the others <laughs> probably like high protein uh like uh, keto diets <laughs> <laughs> um no, uh, I, I guess the preparation is is get out there and, and, and do a lot of running. But really, in, in the essence, you can't really prepare for something like this. I didn't really change up my training for, for this event specifically. Mm. Um, but I know that uh, Jody, she is a phenomenal ultra runner and she's run so many ultras. And the thing is, before this, before this run across Tajikistan, um, yeah, she did a lot of training, but she didn't a lot of training actually for a different race. She ran, uh, I think a hundred K ultra like two weeks before she did this event. I was, you know, going on my like little 10 K runs. And so I was, <laughs> I, I was quite rested for this, uh, event actually, in which she was, um, still recovering from this huge race she did. So she's just, if you, you saw the video, she is an absolute, um, workhorse. She is so, so motivating. She's so inspiring. Um, and, uh, and she's tough as nails. My girlfriend was actually said, while we were watching the documentary, like, uh, when you all arrive at the, the lake, um, my girlfriend was celebrating and she said like, she made it, like, she's the only one who made it. So she was super happy. So I think it's really, you can really get like the feeling from her that she like car can carry also like a group, uh, in, in, in that way. What was yeah. for you the, what was for you the, the hardest day? Yeah, so uh, to give a bit of context on that is, so Jody, um, she was the only person to actually complete all seven days of the run. Um, and that is because that 
I may have had a bit much, bit bit too much fun. Um, and after the first day of running, I I was loving it. I was uh, you know adapting super well to the high altitude. And um, after we arrived at this this first little village, I just forgot to you know eat and recover after this marathon. I went in to go start playing soccer with some of the locals, and we had this uh, like amazing game of soccer and um uh st- i started learning uh tajiki and i had this little like tajiki phrase book and i was talking to talking to locals but i was having so much fun that i forgot to potentially take care of myself and so all i really had after the run was uh you know a, a little like chocolate protein shake and um that's about it and then when dinner came around um which was which was later uh, I was so hungry, and when uh, the locals came around, and they had, they were so excited to have some some guests, and it was so nice of them to have us and host us. Um, they prepared this amazing, amazing meal, and they came up with this 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 lamb that they cooked. And uh, a lot of um, uh, a lot of the the crew that I was with was vegetarian. Um, actually, everyone except for except for me, and I decided I was like, okay, well, they were. Uh, the locals were quite disappointed that a lot of their guests couldn't indulge in the meal that they they took to prepare and i had so much of it and it was amazing it was fantastic uh but i think um my stomach didn't handle it too well uh so my stomach didn't handle it too well and i woke up with a fever in the middle of the night and the next day was uh, let's just put it a shitty day it was a (laughs) shitty day yeah. So the the following day, um, I, I woke up with a fever and I said, you know, what? like I'll, I'll grind through. I can I can still run. And I was fine. So I, I ran I ran the marathon. Um, but through that day, I had to pop a squat in the side of the side of the road, probably about sixteen times. That's crazy. Um, and it was it was brutal. Um, so. It was just coming out the other end, and uh, but I continued running, and like so, I was I was running on an empty stomach. But by the time I got there, I was I was very very weak, um, and I was like, okay, maybe I messed something up. I think we ran you know forty three forty four kilometers that day um, in the heat, and by the time I got there, I just got got to you know where we were staying for the night, and I just collapsed on the ground, um, and. I think it was that day that I really dug myself into the hole. Um, and that night I was just on, on, on the hole in the ground, shitting my guts out for the entire night. Um, so I didn't sleep at all. And so the next day, um, I kind of had a, a really difficult decision to make. Um, and I had a really difficult time to look at myself in the face and say, okay, well, I got to swallow my ego, ego and, and maybe take a step back from running today um because if i go out there and dig myself further into this hole um and you know my kidneys fail and i think that's when you know jody had word word with me he says you know like i need you to take uh take today off because all if you become more sick than you already are now then you put us all at risk and we're gonna need to heli lift you from the middle of nowhere or you know drive you back to the nearest post and that's not really an option right now so mm-hmm. um so i took a day off and uh jody he also 
you know, collapsed from from heat exhaustion the, the following day, or sorry, JB collapsed from heat exhaustion, and uh, Jody was the only person who, you know, tough as nails, like powered through it, and she powered through every single kilometer of that route. Um, so there was a day that I didn't run, but I, it was definitely uh, a hard hit to the ego to be like, oh well, I messed up. Do do you have any patterns, like thinking patterns of like pushing through those um, like hardships also like in running? I mean, six or seven days, I think this is uh, I put aside, but also running six days, uh, six marathons. It's yeah, unbelievably hard. And also we, um, I think we haven't mentioned it yet. The altitudes were like up to 4,500 meter. <laughs> Jody, for example, she was like throwing the the rocks And then running after the rocks, like, do you have anything like this or you just, uh, when you run, like you just keep on going? Yeah. So she was so, so bored um, because we were at one point running through this uh, very, very high altitude desert. And the only way she could keep herself motivated through this grueling day, I think it was something uh, over 50K that day. Um, and through this grueling day, she was would throw a rock and then run to it. Um in terms of my myself is like i i really love being able to get into this uh rhythmic state uh when you're running where you almost push yourself into this uh this this state that you can also achieve through meditation and it's this meditative state where you can really push yourself um and reflect and uh so i think for me that's that's the way i i get through it all super interesting but yeah i also said like uh, this in the beginning that's gonna be the podcast of extremes because also after that you didn't stop you also ran the ultra trail in cape town which is a ultra marathon how did that happen yeah um that happened because jody sent me an email and he says hey i signed you up to this you're running it and uh that was my first ever official ultra race Heck, I haven't actually ever officially run a marathon. Um, the only time I officially ran a marathon was uh, after I lost a bet drunk in a bar in Barcelona and I, I ran a marathon uh, dressed as Ginger Spice. Um, but I, that wasn't officially a marathon because I just kind of hopped the fence and ran it. Um, but uh, this was my first official race, anything, I think, anything over a half marathon. Um, mm. And it was grueling um very grueling because i i wasn't really training for it and uh, i was very much not training for it um and i decided hey you know, how, like, how much time did you have before i started Sorry. uh preparation for it i don't know uh a couple months but i had been taking some time off of running so i was like you know i better get back into it um so i started doing some training but not no no i'd never done a run over you know 25k in preparation in preparation for that. So, um, I showed up on the day of, and I, and all of the advice that I got was to take it easy off the start and make sure you eat a lot. And so that's, that's the advice that I did. Um, uh, but the thing is we were starting in the dark and, uh, you start at, you know, four in the morning or something like that. And, um, you're surrounded by all of these people and then you hop onto these trails and you're not really, really sure, of like how fast you're going or where you are in the pack. 
And so I started off the pace that I'm at used, used to running. It was very, very comfortable. Um, and I thought it was very slow. And, you know, the light starts rising and we're passing through one of the, the checkpoints. And my friend who's there supporting looks at me and says, Gabe, what are you doing? It's like, what? He says, you're in, in the top 10 of one of the most like competitive trail races in the world. And I was like, oh my God. Uh, I was, you know, I was probably about 30K in. I said, well, I, I may have messed up, but I still feel great. <laughs> and I still felt great until uh, 50K rolled around. And then 60K rolled around and I collapsed. I was, I was on the side of... I was on the side of the, the trail and some, some guy came along and, and physically lifted me up and he says, Hey, have this salt snack. And he gave me a salt snack and then he ran off and that saved me. And, and, uh, pretty much I, uh, struggled very, very hard from 60 kilometers till the full hundred. Um, so it was, a a very, very difficult one. And, I was walking downstairs backwards for the next week because my legs hurt so much. This is insane. But what goes through your head like from kilometer 60 to, to 100? Fuck, 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 fuck. That's it. <laughs> um, I think uh, beyond that is just trying to eat as much as, much as I possibly can. Um, and, you know... I'm, I was always thinking, I was like, well, maybe I should have trained for this. And uh, maybe I I should have taken it a bit slower. Um, but I'm, mm. I'm really happy with the way it turned out. I ended up finishing in uh, 14 and a half hours. Um, and it was super, super difficult. But I think I, I still placed like pretty competitively for my first ever 100K. Um, and it really got me hooked. And I said, yeah, that was really, really painful. And I crashed hard. Um, but I think next time, you know, if I do it properly, we'll see how that goes. 74th, I think, from 180. So, wow, I, I didn't even know my position there. Thank you. <laughs> no, I, I looked it up. I, I because I, I heard like the part of the story before, and I was like, I'm curious, like how you ended up. But it's, it's insane if you look at. I mean, the, the first one I think was around 10 hours, which is also very oh insane gosh. if you, if you calculate. Really crazy, I mean, crazy. Ten, 10 hours is, is crazy. But um, yeah, I mean, big, big respect for for. Did you have a running watch? I did, I did. Um, but you know what? The running watch. <laughs> Uh, I thought I was complete at kilometer 80 and I set up the watch incorrectly. And, uh, at kilometer 80, I came to the final or the 80 kilometer aid station. I said, I got five kilometers more to go. And, and the lady came over to me and she sat me down and she says, honey, yeah, you have another 20 kilometers to go. And at that point I knew I was screwed. Yeah. Um, yeah. So crazy. my, my running watch uh conked out on me <laughs> better run without so that's we are back to square exactly. one right hey, and for a lot of people um i mean to have those kind of like to do like a i mean a half marathon a marathon a ultra marathon maybe having like even a, an experience that you had in in tajikistan is like a life goal for them uh, you have achieved uh, uh, i mean you have achieved 
two of them and of course your your pancake mile the world record <laughs> we, we have to keep that in mind but is there anything that still like uh, tickles you that you think like ah this this is something that i really want to do or this is a really big challenge or do you want to become uh, better in in, in the, the hundred uh, the ultra runs or what are your goals and dreams there so something that this uh, global pandemic has really given me, as well as I think a lot of other people, has given some t people some time to take a step back and slow down and you know think about where they want to be and think about the goals that they want to achieve um, and the impact they want to have on the world. Um, and and for me, it's uh, it's definitely been this amazing uh, moment where I've been able to slow down. Um, I haven't been. I haven't really slowed down in the last four or five years. I've constantly been going from one thing to another. Um, and it's over the last month and a half, especially it's been, it's been a really uh, amazing time to, for the first time, I think learn to be able to spend time with myself and think about where I want to be and where, where my goals are and, and what I find valuable. So in terms of, you know, goals and my, my next steps and I, I think they're they're less um, action focused, uh, but more on um, vision focuses. I, I want to try to make uh, the biggest impact I can on this world, um, and like make a positive influence in as many people's lives as I can um, through whether it's uh, building um, building communities and building connections around the world, or it's some other way. Um, so it's, it, this has given me a lot of time, making time to reflect, um, in terms of running goals, uh, I would love to, uh, start running ultra marathons and, and, and start training for those. Um, but that all comes with time. And I think, you know, I need to heed my own advice and, you know, just get out the door and start and, you know, and do some planning for where I want to be. Um, but right now I, I, I'm, I'm very happy, um, just, uh, training and enjoying enjoying things at the moment uh, and then when when times are right maybe i'll uh, start training for ultras nice and uh, actually quite funny because that was one of my uh, next questions and because i think one thing that becomes very clear when you've been uh, when we talk to you when you look at your instagram profile when you watch the documentary that you are constantly on the run <laughs> like also figuratively um when when do you create space for yourself like when is the moment for you like to to disconnect so that's the thing is i, I never really thought that there was any aspect of introvert in me at all um and it's only really into the last couple of months where i've i've really realized uh yeah that i i do enjoy spending time with myself and now i think i'm going to more actively uh, put some time aside to um, spend some time with myself and, and you know, slow down um, because I think that allows me to uh, more consciously focus my efforts on the things that matter to me um, and uh, make a larger impact and, you know, have a more positive impact on um, the people around me. So I think I need to really focus on um, taking a step back for a moment so I can be more um, and, and act with intent. Mm. because one thing that is 
like becomes very clear like you're kind of constantly happy like smiling and and, and and dancing and and you also said like i think now you got to know yourself maybe from like a different uh, angle is, is there like any mm, how do you cope with with negative like do you cope with negativity well or with like bad vibes mm. or something like this or is that a problem for you well it's something that i've learned um over the course of years is that um you have to surround yourself with people who inspire you and who make you a better version of you and and people who bring positivity into your life um and i think the way i i cope with um negativity is is really by putting uh, trying to put a positive spin on it um and i know that sounds very vague but um if there's always two ways of looking looking at something and uh for example like you could definitely look at um you know, getting sick on the Tajikistan trip as a negative um, and not finishing the entire thing. But, you know, you can also look at it from the aspect is like, I was doing this amazing event and um, ha experiencing this amazing landscape and culture. And it's about the adventure. It's not about actually completing the run. It's about being there with that people and being present. Mm. Would you describe yourself as an impatient person? I think I I definitely would. Um, I like I uh, I like to jump right right into things and you know go go full on. Um, and I think there's definitely a lot of uh, positive and negative that come out of that. And I think um, I'd more describe myself as uh, optimistic. Um, and I think that optimism sometimes can be um, be a weakness, but in many ways um, a huge positive. Right. Sometimes I will um, yeah. be too optimistic and take on too many things at the same time and have too many plans going, uh, and it'll set me back from my further from my, my farther goal. Um, but at the same time, that same optimism is the um, it's it's that part of me that gives these ideas a chance to grow and breathe um, and allow some of these things to happen. And so, I mean, without that that kind of optimism, so many. Um, things in my life wouldn't have come to fruition because sometimes it all just starts with an idea and you have to you have to believe in that idea um, and so sometimes it takes it it uh you know it it takes working together with people to sometimes um, work through some of your optimism and and try to draw some reality into it or around it uh, and that's why Alex and mm -hmm. I are super great working together um, Alex understands my optimism and can pull some, uh, some, some reality into it and, and make it a, a full painted picture. Um, and so we work really, really amazing mm -hmm. together on, on projects. Um, and because he's also able to dream and also able to, you know, think of these amazing creative ideas. Um, so I think, uh, in my op optimism is really, really good hand in hand, um, with, you know, a bit of realism. Hmm. Do you find it more difficult to get started or to keep going? Uh, that's a difficult question. Um, I think I find it most difficult to get started. Um, but I still manage to do it. And it's just, I, I've, I've really realized you just got to start. Um, and after that, it's something that I've been really... You know, learning and trying to teach myself is um continuing to 
be consistent and integrate consistency into my life uh, in order to try to succeed at these things and, you know, integrate the lessons that I learned from, you know, from running and from uh, my success in running and bringing that over into other aspects and, you know, uh, integrating that, that drive and consistency that will help me move forward. Um, so they're both mm-hmm. very, very hard, hard things to do and tackle. Um, and, you know, it's, it's all like a learning process. Is, is there anything that you, that keeps you up at night? I sleep very well. Um, not, I, <laughs> I guess I'm just, I'm so busy during the day that I, 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 ju- I just f- fall asleep, uh, very, very quickly. Um, but, uh, what keeps me up, I guess, um, a bit later than sometimes I would like to is, is dreaming about new future projects and some of the other things I need to do, even if I know they're really unrealistic. Um, those, those ideas are always, always in my head. Super nice. If you, if you could recommend a, a book, uh, to, to all the listeners, uh, which book would you recommend and why? So there's one book I'm currently um, reading. It's called How to Change the World. Um, and it's a really interesting book that was that breaks down some of the different um, individuals or uh, social entrepreneurs around the world and um, looks at the things that they do um, and how they make systematic change in the world. Um, and, mm. you know, these individuals aren't, you know, uh, someone that has this master plan that can change everything around the world. But these are individuals that know um, know the, the situation that is around them and know their environment and um, are able to make an impact locally. Uh, and so that's something that mm-hmm. I've been you know, working my way through. And uh, I find it such an inspiring book just because it, it highlights the fact that if you really focus on your surroundings you can make uh, a larger impact on the world by just making impact on those around you sounds super interesting big recommendation i'm definitely going to link it in the show notes wow i mean we, we covered a lot of topics i i've it's so difficult i think to to summarize this uh, fantastic episode um one thing that that really stuck in my mind is uh, start and make it fun um i think that that's uh, um like throughout the podcast, it didn't matter if you were like somewhere in the desert of uh, Tajikistan or running, running like in, in, in Cape Town, um, you always managed to to make it fun. And I think this is really like a, a, a very big quality of you uh, that you are also able to to not only make it fun for you, but also I think uh, make it fun for the others. So uh, kudos to you. I think uh, very cool what, you, what you've achieved and what you will achieve. Before we start off, I have three final questions. The, I mean, you heard uh, two, three podcasts, so so maybe you, you already thought about them. Uh, the first question is, uh, what are you not very good at right now and want to become better at? Waking up early in the morning is definitely something that I'm not very good at. And that is something that I am really, I've started doing it and I have been trying to make it fun. Um, and so far I am failing to make it fun because it, sucks uh, but i'm trying to wake up every morning <laughs> at 7 a.m and uh it's i'm traditionally not a morning person but um i'm i'm giving it a try you have to do cold showers that I've, I've been doing cold showers for 
uh, a year and a half now. Um, and so okay. cold showers are super, super great. And boy, oh boy, does it get, get your heart pumping. Um, so my, yeah. my morning routine, um, I've been doing this for about the last year. I'll, I'll do 50 push-ups, 50 sit-ups, and then a cold shower every morning. Um, and that really gets me going and launched into the day. So I don't really do slow mornings. Um, but, uh, now I'm trying to move that schedule routine to, um, to earlier in the morning. Um, but yeah, cold showers are absolutely mm-hmm. phenomenal. And I, I think the big thing that I can learn and, and take away from that is, you know, if you manage to step into a cold shower and struggle that little bit of discomfort every day, you know, you've succeeded something and it allows the discomforts in your life, whatever it may be, um, to be put into a bit more perspective and it allows you to be more comfortable tackling those discomforts every day. Yeah. Also, I mean, uh, I don't know for you, but I, I got inspired a lot by Wim Hof for that. Um, but uh, yeah, probably that would open up another podcast, but I can really, really recommend like cold showers in the morning because it's such a conscious decision because you are changing the water to cold. And I think this is like the, the one thing that, um, I don't know, separated like, productive days and unproductive days currently for me because you are just like then in the mood okay and then what else like how how much worse can it be than the cold exactly. showers right exactly which title would you give this chapter of your life you know i hadn't answered this um but i would say so if i could choose a title for this chapter of my life i think it would be surround yourself surrounding myself with positive people and i think that that that's what it would nice. be that's a that's a very nice uh, title and uh, last question um if you could send an sms or a whatsapp message to all the mobile phones in the world what would you say just start and make it fun yeah <laughs> nice those are, those are the perfect words <laughs> to end this podcast hey Gabe uh, thanks a lot for for being part of the 301 podcast it was really really a lot of fun to talk to you I think I've learned a lot uh, I think the listener will also learn a lot and again thank you so much and uh, good luck with all your future runs Marcus, thank you so much rock on thank you so much for listening to the 301 episode one thing that keeps being stuck in my mind since a couple of days is one sentence that Gabe said he said just start and make it fun And I think this is really a great piece of advice with whatever you want to do, either if it's in sport life or if it's in your normal life or if it's in your job, just start and make it fun. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode and we are back with another exciting episode next week. Talk to you soon. Until then, yours truly, Marcus.